This is probably good news for consumers. And again, from that inflation aspect, this is the one area that might combat inflation over the long term. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Earlier this week, the U.S. Senate voted on the Inflation Reduction Act, a historic and significant healthcare tax and climate bill. In today's episode, portfolio managers Chris McKaney, Chris Heeks, and your host Kevin Prince unpack the legislation and gauge the market's reactions to the news. They also look at redefining the word recession, exposure to tech with a large cap growth strategy, and megatrend ETFs. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, this is Kevin Prince from BMO Exchange Traded Funds. Welcome back to Views from the Desk. Today, I have two guests join me on a round table here, both Chris McKady and Chris Heeks. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us for another insight to what's going on in the marketplace. And it's been a busy week. One of the big things we saw, of course, this week, and has a lot of different dynamics to it, of course, was the Democrats was able to pass the newly named Inflation Reduction Act. And I think there's some key considerations for investors here. And I'm thinking, you know, first, of course, the inflation, which is in the title of the aspect. Clean energy and infrastructure seems to be a big theme within there. The Medicare negotiations, as well as the uh, corporate minimum tax. I want to unpack each one of those ones with you, if I can, and then just get your thoughts on what that means relative to uh, exchange-traded funds, too, please. So first, let's kick off on the, you know, the things called the Inflation Reduction Act. Let's start off with inflation. How does this help with inflation? Because that's in the title there. And, you know, of course, we're seeing what's the potential future rates increases, because that's really what we're thinking about when it comes to inflation is a purchasing power, but also what it means towards uh, interest rates out there. So give us some thoughts on that, if you can, and what it means on a inflation perspective first. Sure, Kevin. And I think, um, you know, maybe despite the name of the act as inflation reduction, um, you know, I think overall, the, the takeaway from, from most areas is that this, this act is really going to have a minimal impact on inflation, uh, if anything. So the Congressional Budget Office, as well as a couple of other um, budgetary analysis, uh, came, pretty much came to the same conclusion. Um, and if anything, you know, the thought is that um, this bill might actually boost or increase inflation modestly in the short term. Um, and in the long term, it might um, reduce inflation overall, again, modestly. So despite the name, um, you know, I don't think inflation is the hugest focus of this bill, not to say it's not an important bill, and we'll, we'll get into some of the other areas where the spending happens. Uh, but just in terms of inflation itself, we think there's probably going to be a minor impact here. And if you take a look at the market's reaction after this bill was announced, if you take a look at uh, the yield curve changes, um, we did see a little bit of an increase in short-term rates, um, you know, in that one to two year sort of time period um, and, and a decrease in those longer term rates. So it looks like the market kind of uh, digested that as these uh, uh, other analysis have that if anything, inflation might increase uh, in the short term. Now we've seen the CPI come out 
this morning as we're recording this on a Wednesday, and that came out you know lower than expectations, and we've seen yields uh, decrease across the board because of it. So you know the things like energy, food, and housing, you know that's what's going to be driving inflation at least in the short term. Um, if we take a look uh, just at this bill specifically and how that might impact inflation in the short term, you know the thinking is that um, because the spending in this bill happens in the early years and most of it is front loaded, um, that that's what will increase inflation in the short term. And then um, you know the the revenues that pay for this spending um, happen in the later years, and so that's why um, you know looking out further, we might see a reduction in, in inflation. So. In terms of you know how you can invest around this, uh, we think this is going to continue to have volatility in that that sort of the sort of you know up to two year time frame in terms of uh, interest rate movements. And so you know we think investors look should look at something like the ZBI, our bank income ETF. It's investing in bonds, uh, preferred shares, and LRCNs um, issued by Canadian banks from the zero to five year time period. And so the reason we like this one is that it, it is keeping duration a little bit shorter. Again, the volatility in interest rates we think is going to continue. And so maintaining that shorter duration bias we think is important. But if rates are going to be going up in the short term as well, you want a solution like ZBI that's actually going to hold these bonds and preferred shares to their maturity. So that's really important because, you know, essentially if inflation does move up in the short term or rates move up in the short term, it's almost a superficial loss you would see on these bonds because eventually they are going to mature at par um, and the fund will hold them until that maturity. And so, um, you know, again, despite what those short-term uh, rate fluctuations might be, um, you know what you're getting in the end uh, by holding these bonds and these preferred shares to, to their maturity. So we think while inflation continues and rates continue to move around in the short term, trying to find their, their path, um, having an investment in this area kind of shields you from, from some of those fluctuations. Well, that's good insight, Chris. I also think on the ZBI, I think the, the, the thought that it's all focused on Canadian banks, also a good way to, to, to take a look at a, a step in this place because you know what you're investing in with those Canadian banks. Many advisors are looking for a long-term covered call strategy that provides additional cash flow while growing invested capital and are finding it in the BMO Covered Call Canadian Banks ETF, ticker ZWB. For 11 years and counting, ZWB has delivered results, participating in sector growth while meeting investor expectations of higher income and lower volatility. To read our comprehensive history of this flagship product, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hey, let's stay on this bill, if we don't mind, for a little bit more here. I want to talk a little about the other aspects of the bill, specifically clean energy and infrastructure. seems a big theme with the inside the bill. So let's take a time and just talk about that, because what does it mean we're converting to more clean energy? And we have ETFs like ZClean or uh, Green Eye out there. What does it mean for those out there, Chris? Yeah, thanks, Kevin. It's actually pretty significant for those. So if this bill wasn't so much about inflation, other than, you know, perhaps we could say cynically kind of appeasing some of the political, you know, appetite out there and, and trying to make it look like we're fighting inflation, you know, what was it really about? It was actually the biggest climate change bill, you know, by by quite a margin. Uh, if you look at the bill itself, $430 billion, uh overall, 370 of that goes to uh 
renewables, climate change initiatives, and are energy related. So 85% of the bill is is really uh, clean energy or energy related. You know, it's a cutback a little bit from what they were discussing last year. But remember, last year we were discussing a two trillion dollar bill. I don't think we could have labeled a two trillion dollar spending bill inflationary. Uh, you know, you know, uh, dealing with inflationary uh, from a reduction point of view. So it's a toned down bill, uh, but it is a very significant bill. Uh, we're looking at, you know, it's going to get U.S. to, you know, on the pathway to their 2030 goal, which is reducing coal emissions 40% from 2005 levels. And that's viewed as a midpoint goal to the ultimate Paris Accord goal, which is net zero by 2050. So definitely lends a lot of credence to, you know, what we have identified as a mega trend, uh, clean energy. And that's a reason we launched the Z Clean Fund uh, when we did last year, identifying that this is a trend going to be playing out over over uh, many years and decades. But certainly this bill, it, it certainly legitimizes um, that path forward. The U.S. is the second largest carbon emitter in the world. So to have them on board, you know, with that kind of spending, you know, it's quite significant. So, you know, as always with our mega trend ETFs like ZClean, tends to be for an investor with a little higher risk tolerance because these are this is a growth vehicle, uh, but, you know, can work very well for someone who has, uh, you know, that longer time horizon and ability to, to tolerate a little higher risk. Um, it's also going to be constructive for GRNI, as you mentioned, which is our BMO Brookfield Global Renewable Infrastructure Fund, that one's a little more defensive than the Z Clean, so a little more defensive and infrastructure and in style. You know, whereas we look at Z Clean as a growth vehicle, uh, but you know, certainly this package is probably, you know, this is probably one of the, you know, definitely the most significant part of the bill. And when you look at it being 85% of the spending, it's going to, um, you know, be pretty constructive for these strategies. And we've seen Z Clean, you know, react appropriately. It's up about 30% over the past month on the back of expectations with this bill. So quite constructive, uh, but again, take a long-term approach and, uh, you know, certainly subject to ups and downs, but, you know, we think this really legitimizes this mega trend going forward. Thanks for that, Chris. I agree on that. With the bill focused on clean energy, you know, it's a good way to take a look at it. If you're focused more on the growth side from a, a Z clean out there or maybe more the infrastructure side of that with the, the greedy, the GRNI out there. Now, let's keep going through and unpacking all the changes because there's a lot in this bill. Medicare negotiation on drug prices. Now, I know the Democrats have been working on that for some time. I guess the thought now is, now that it's going to come into play, what does that mean for the healthcare sector and ETFs like our ZUH for that matter? Sure. And I think, um, you know, as you mentioned, you know, Medicare being able to negotiate these drug prices was one of the headlines coming out of here. I think detractors have said, you know, this is going to stifle innovation in the area, uh, in the sector. Um, but really, when we take a look at it, you know, first of all, when do these uh, negotiations, you know, kick in? And, you know, this is where the, the long-term aspect of this bill comes in and, and where actually it, it could actually bring down inflation over the longer term. Um, as, you know, if you're able to control healthcare costs for many uh, consumers, um, you know, that'll bring down their overall cost and, you know, one of those components of CPI um, over that sort of three to five year time horizon. Um, but in terms of, you know, specifically what Medicare um, can negotiate with here, it's starting with 10 drugs um, starting in 2026 and then expanding to 20 drugs in 2029. So again, you can see the sort of long-term approach here. 
no real immediate effect uh, to the healthcare industry. And again, maybe over the longer term, um, putting a cap on some of these uh, prices that they're able to charge. You know, one of the other aspects here is not just that Medicare can negotiate um, the cost, but on certain drugs, if drug companies um, increase the cost of those drugs over um, the CPI or over inflation, they would have to pay something back um, into the government. And so this is where detractors are starting to think this could actually limit um, innovation and research and development. If, uh, if drug companies are making a little bit less profit, um, they won't be able to churn out as many new drugs and new medicines um, over the years as, as they're reducing their R&D budget. Um, but in the end, really, um, you know, again, going back to the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, analyzing this bill, um, you know, the impact there is probably quite modest as well. And, you know, the estimate there was that, you know, 15 out of 1,000 uh, or out of 1,300 new drugs might not come to market over the next 30 years. So, you know, looking over a long, long time horizon, you're looking at less than 1% of new drugs maybe not making it to market. Um, and at the same time, you know, let's take a look at the fact that most um, drug companies actually spend more on marketing than they do on, on R&D. And so I think there's lots of room for that to be made up. Um, so again, this is probably good news for consumers. And again, from that inflation aspect, this is the one area that might combat inflation over the long term. And we actually think this is actually a very minimal impact to the healthcare sector and to ETFs like ZUH or, or ZHU, uh, depending if you're looking at hedged or, or unhedged uh, version of this sector. But really, again, we think, you know, if you take a look at the response uh, in prices, stock prices barely even moved on this news when this bill was announced. So we don't think it's a huge headwind to uh, healthcare. We think that's obviously a huge, um, you know, secular growth area over the longer term. And, and this bill doesn't really change that at all. Thanks for that, Chris. Good insight there. If you're looking for essential information on BMO ETFs at a glance, check out the monthly momentum report, What's Trending? Consistent, comprehensive updates that feature performance numbers for all of BMO's ETFs, as well as easy-to-read charts and breakdowns by asset class and sector. Staying up to date has never been simpler. Access What's Trending anytime at bmoetfs.ca. Another big thing with inside the bill, of course, was this corporate minimum tax. And you mentioned already about how it's going to help pay for everything. Well, okay, well, let's, let's unpack that for a second, because what does that mean for companies and, of course, relative to their stock prices out there? Uh, and, Chris, have you seen any movement that, in that yet? Yeah, you know, again, on this one, I'd say probably more bark than bite. I think the Democrats certainly wanted to increase taxes more than they did, but they, you know, did find a lack of political appetite, both with the Republicans, but also within their own party. So, you know, if you look at what has happened with minimum tax, you know, what they pro proposed was, you know, the typical method is 21% of profits, less deductions, or 15% of the earnings that they report on their financial statements. This is going to apply to companies over $1 billion. But again, as this uh, bill passed through the House, there were a lot of concessions made on the bill. You know, notably, they kept appreciated depreciation and, and also carved out private equity. So if private equity owns any of these companies. Uh, it doesn't apply to those companies. Um, so it's, you know, it's something that's got watered down a, a little bit. I think the bigger picture for sure with equities has still been inflation and, you know, the impact on, on the Fed hiking path. And, and, and we're seeing, you know, certainly some constructive 
uh, toned in equities, given that inflation moderated in July. Um, and, you know, from the same perspective, I think this tax bill, um, most people are looking at is this is not too impactful for equities. And if anything, you know, staves off any significant tax hikes, there is no appetite to raise them to raise the corporate tax rate. There's still a lot of deductions and the consensus is that there's there's room, you know, you know, we, we know how loopholes work with taxes. There's, there's room to work around. So, you know, really um, not, not a big market impact. They're talking about bringing in 20 billion over 10 years. And so that's, you know, relatively small in the grand scheme of the, uh, you know, the impact of the tax. So again, you know, that's, that's productive for equities. Um, you know, it's more incentive for companies to grow and, um, and, and invest. So, um, you know, again, I think that, you know, in combination with what we're seeing on the inflation front is creating a little bit more of a upbeat tone um, in equities. No, Chris, that's also good to hear. So appreciate your, uh, your detailed thoughts on that, too. Now, guys, moving beyond the bill, I got a couple of questions coming in from advisors. Take a little more of your time, if you don't mind. Um, first and foremost, you know, we saw the high job numbers in the U.S. last week. Um, What's your thoughts on that um, going for inflation and the other aspects, I guess? Yeah, I think really, um, you know, the, the jobs number that really came out of nowhere last week is really just reinforcing the idea that, you know, this jobs market is like no other in history. And it's almost causing us to, you know, let's, re, let's reassess what the definition of a recession is um, potentially because, you know, the U.S. entered a technical recession um, with two negative quarters of GDP growth. So that's, you know, again, sort of that technical uh, indicator of if we're in a recession or not. Um, you know, typically um, the National Bureau of Economic Research, that's the group that actually labels a recession and says we are in a recession or we're no longer in a recession. You know, they look at broad measures of the economy, of course, including GDP growth. But one of the largest things they look at is, is the job market. And I think it's obviously very difficult to say uh, we're in a recessionary environment when the economy is adding this many jobs. And so I think, um, you know, just taking a look at it, you know, what the pandemic did to the jobs market in terms of destroying jobs um, and now getting, you know, having lasting effects, you know, two years later in terms of how these jobs are being added back to the economy. Um, you know, we're at the level in the U.S. where um, now just as many jobs are filled as pre-pandemic. Um, you know, it's hard to say that, that we're in a recessionary environment. And so I think we'll have to continue looking at the jobs market, but we'll have to look beyond that and at, at other economic indicators to determine, you know, recessionary level. I think certainly this indicates um, while we do anticipate a slowdown coming, that by no means are we in a recession um, or is a recession predefined, I guess. Um, you know, it's not inevitable. Uh, in, in other words, we can probably have a slowdown in growth, which we are seeing signs of. Um, and not necessarily destroy uh, jobs and, and still have that sort of quote-unquote soft landing. Very interesting to look at recession and probably wait going forward. That's very interesting. All right, one more question coming in from uh, the advisor. There's certainly been a lot of buzz about uh, technology lately, and the advisor's asking, you know, around specifically on tech, it's been a run lately. So uh, thoughts on accessing this going forward, guys? Yeah, so rough year for tech. Uh, so far on a year-to-date basis, no, no, no debating that. And certainly, you know, tech was impacted by those rising interest rates that we haven't seen in, in quite a while. Now what we have is inflation cooling, 
interest rate expectations in terms of hikes are starting to abate. You know, we're talking about 50 basis points with the Fed next month instead of 75. All these factors are helping growth to kind of, you know, get some legs underneath it again. And like you said, tech equities are up 6 to 8% in the last uh, month. So starting to, you know, dig out of that hole that they made earlier in the year. Obviously, tech is a major growth component um, and engine of the overall economy. You know, it's, it's um, you know, on the index, it's, well, IT is 27%, but if you include your Google, Amazon, Facebooks, et cetera, that aren't in the IT sector, you're looking at close to 40%. You know, listen, these companies have also had some very strong fundamentals. Amazon had a very strong quarter and upbeat outlook, um, Apple beat as well. So you're looking at, you know, an Amazon up 25% in the last uh, five weeks or so. Apple's up 20%. They're definitely finding a footing. You know, the way I like to play tech right now is actually with our ZWT. I like this for a few reasons. It's a large cap strategy. Um, you know, obviously growth is coming back, but, you know, we're still going to be navigating some volatility this fall. I think that's, that's certain. And being in large cap, high quality companies, I think will help manage that. The other great thing about ZWT is, you know, like our cover call overlay, you know, this, this, this product yields 5.8%. Most of that comes from the option side because uh, the tech companies don't pay much, much in the way of dividends. But so you're looking at 5% as an in, in, income stream coming from options. That will defray out a lot of volatilities. Stalls a little bit in the in the fall, goes sideways. Well, you can still you know add to your total return through that option overlay and help mitigate volatility. So you know certainly like uh, having that ZWT as a satellite position in portfolio. I think it can help investors get exposure to the space and generate income. Yeah, it's kind of a, a different way of playing the the tech rally as it comes back on there. Absolutely, and then maybe more of a you know, bring you a chance to get some income to the exact same time. Chris, thanks for that. And Chris, also thanks for your insight today. That's going to bring us to a wrap on this week's Views from the Desk. I want to thank everybody for taking the time to join us for this current session. And we invite you back to next week where we're going to talk about more insights in the overall market. Thanks again for joining us one more time. And thanks to both of you for sharing your thoughts. Cheers. Thank you to Kevin Prince, Chris McKinney, and Chris Heeks for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Canadian Bank Income Index ETF ticker ZBI, which provides exposure to bonds, preferred shares, and limited recourse capital notes, or LRCNs, from a zero to five year time period, keeping duration shorter. Our experts also discussed the BMO Clean Energy Index ETF, ticker ZCLN, also referred to as ZClean, a growth vehicle designed for investors with higher risk tolerance, featuring a diversified mix of clean energy-related businesses. For more information about the other ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca, that's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.